Hey, what's up? This is Bill Burr, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Um, keep listening, because if you're like me, you have nothing better to do. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian John Roy went from playing music to stand-up comedy. He still finds time to play music with fellow comedians, though. He's one of the best drummers I've ever played with, which is sort of annoying if you like, you're all, not only are you one of the best comedians in the country, you're playing like a drummer. Like, you're not playing like a guy with a drum kit. Like, I'm like, you can join a band tomorrow. Find out what comedian is a fantastic drummer, according to John Roy. We have another edition of It's Facebook, not Factbook. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. The FBI is calling it a miracle, and the airline says a teen who hopped the fence at a San Jose airport is lucky to be alive after a five-hour flight to Maui in the wheel well of a Boeing 787. Airline officials were very nice to the young man and flew him back to San Jose under the front wheel, which is right under first class. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, a vocal opponent of marijuana legalization, said he thinks Colorado's recreational pot law has heralded a quality of life that New Jersey doesn't want. While Christie is staunchly anti-pot, he is pro-munchies. Russian President Vladimir Putin offered a vague but ominous warning to Ukraine's government this week, saying there may be unspecified consequences for its use of force against pro-Russian separatists in the east. You have a nice capital, he told Ukrainian leaders. It would be a shame if something happened to it. April 23rd marked the birthday of James Buchanan, the man regarded by many historians as one of the worst, if not the worst, president of all time, except by Fox News, who rank Obama, Clinton, Carter, Roosevelt, all ahead of President Buchanan on the worst president list. Nevada rancher Clive Bundy said Thursday he is not a racist following an outcry over comments in which he suggested blacks might be better off as slaves in a New York Times article that were also captured on video. Bundy told conservative talk show host Alex Jones that the New York Times is making it out to be a racist type thing, and I'm not a racist, he said to Jones in a phone call from the 1850s. The Republican-controlled... Missouri House will begin impeachment proceedings against Democratic Governor Jay Nixon uh, this upcoming Wednesday. Why? Well, there are three reasons, according to the state legislature's Judiciary Committee. First, Nixon allowed legally married same-sex couples in the state to file joint tax returns in order to keep the state consistent with the IRS's Post-Defense of Marriage Act policies. Second, Republicans argue Nixon took too long to call a special election to replace legislative vacancies. And third, Republicans believe that Nixon didn't punish state officials enough over a controversy involving concealed carry permits. Oh, and there's a fourth reason. They're all effing nuts. Georgia Governor Nathan Deal signed a sweeping gun rights bill on Wednesday. House Bill 60, also known ironically as the Safe Carry Protection Act, will allow licensed gun owners to carry their firearms into public areas, including bars, nightclubs, schools, churches, and government buildings. Separate legislation was introduced to update the state motto from wisdom, justice, and moderation to ready, aim, fire! Former Senator and GOP presidential candidate Bob Dole is a message for his party. Stop being so inflexible and start compromising with Democrats. We can't be against everything, he told Politico. We've got to have a forward-looking program, whether it's immigration or foreign policy or education, he said. I just think there are some things we need to get done, he added, and I think there are people on both sides of goodwill who would like to come together. GOP leaders immediately said they were against Dole on this idea. 
And finally, no, Ikea's famous Swedish meatball isn't rolling out the door, but the meatball made from beef is soon to be joined by at least two other varieties produced with a much lighter carbon footprint. The world loves Ikea meatball, says Mona Lisa, corporate spokeswoman. They're not going away, but sustainability initiatives are a cornerstone of Ikea, so the Assemble It Yourself furniture chain says that in 2015, it plans to add chicken and vegetarian meatballs in the U.S. market. Both are still under development. Like most major retailers, Ikea is eager to improve its status with millennials who typically have a greater concern about sustainability, uh, and in addition to Introducing the chicken, and in addition to introducing the chicken and vegetarian varieties, the meatballs that pass their expiration date will be used as packing peanuts. And that's been Fake News with me. It's time for another installment of... It's Facebook, not Factbook. So there I am on Facebook minding my own business, you know, just going back and seeing if uh, guys I went to high school and college with have wives that are as hot as mine, and of course they still don't. But uh, anyway, so I see one of these memes here, and it's a picture of this cute little girl uh, making cookies. She's not Lizzie cute, mind you, but she's pretty cute. And uh, it says, Dear Mr. Obama, this is Evelyn. She's sick. I had to take her to a specialist the other day. A visit that on my family's insurance last year would have cost me $15 as part of a copay. But thanks to you, my insurance has increased their premiums and done away with copay. The cost now, since I still have met my deductible for the year is $240. The medicine Evelyn was prescribed, which would have cost me $12 last year due to the percentage that I was required to pay, now will cost me $160. My family owes. Uh, my family makes fifty-five thousand dollars a year. This is what Obamacare means to the middle class. It means Evie doesn't get her medicine now. Uh, a very sad story, if that is true, which I really, really question. It was posted originally by uh, a woman named Tammy Bruce. She apparently is a, a talk show host and columnist who used to be a feminist and now is a, a, a wacky conservative. And I do mean wacky because she's one of the wacky ones. Not all conservatives are wacky. She is a wacky one. All right. So um, first of all, the the last thing I trust in news is a random meme, almost less than Fox News, if that's possible. So uh, while this story may or may not be true, there's no evidence to support it. There's no names given. Uh, Ms. Bruce, who is apparently is involved in journalism somehow, so has absolutely no evidence that any of this story is true. Now, even if it is, let's give her the benefit of the doubt. You're telling me that if they were to lose their insurance, that Evie would be able to get insurance under the old system with what appears to be a pre-existing condition. Oh, <laughs> sure, of course she will. I believe that. And and they would never drop her because insurance companies didn't drop anybody until Obamacare. <laughs> it never happened. So uh, that's just a, you know, a little – if you have the facts, present the facts, okay? The random internet meme I have absolutely no time for because, as my cute little Lizzie would tell you. It's Facebook, not Factbook. Now, I do have a second part to this bit, which doesn't actually involve Facebook, but it's the same principle. Okay, so what does PF love most? He loves three things. He loves his family. He loves his Cleveland Browns. He loves our custom maneuvers in the dark and the Beach Boys. Okay, so well, that's actually four things. But anyway, um, so one of those things uh, was kind of attacked this week. And I don't know if you folks uh, follow uh, football or anything like that, but Bernie Kosar, beloved Cleveland Browns sports icon and quarterback, uh, was doing the play-by-play on the Browns preseason games, which are shown locally and on some TV stations around the state of Ohio in the fall. And there's been some controversy because last year he, uh, uh, well, he did this. Um, Brad, for standing in there, I really think that they didn't overthrow him and that Austin not, has to make that catch in the NFL. And I see why uh, Sam's been struggling watching how bad these receivers are. For him. Those are two outstanding throws. Though. 
So let me unpack this real quick. The Browns are playing the St. Louis Rams. Uh, St. Louis quarterback Sam Bradford threw a beautiful pass to one of his receivers who dropped it, and Bernie called him out on it. As a former quarterback, I'm sure he's very frustrated when a receiver drops a ball that is laid right into the breadbasket, okay? And he caught all kinds of hell for it. And even the play-by-play guy, Jim Donovan, uh, noted Cleveland sportscaster, agreed with Bernie and said, yeah, he's got to make that catch. So anyway, Bernie caught all kinds of hell for that. But what was really the big controversy uh, during the preseason was the fact that if you heard Bernie's speech, although it doesn't sound as bad to me as I remember it, it sounds a, a little off. And there's been allegations that uh, Bernie's had some trouble with uh, with alcohol. And But this, I do not believe, is the case because Bernie, what he has had a problem with, this is documented, is that he was concussed several times as a player. He hit the turf hard. And I think he had four or five concussions. And he's been an advocate of getting treatment for players who've had concussions and so on. Now, I don't understand where this is coming from, but there seems to be a camp of people in Cleveland who are mostly supportive of Bernie, but there's this other camp who really like to get on Bernie, even back when he was a player. Now, I don't know if this is because he didn't do enough. Dude got you to three conference championships, okay, which is way farther than Brian Sipe got you. And I love Brian Sipe. I, I adore him as much as I adore Bernie, but Bernie got us to three championships, and Bernie didn't drop the ball in Denver. Bernie didn't let the defense come back in Cleveland and so they could so Denver could kick a field goal and win that game, okay? And, and I, I'm not blaming Ernest Biner, by the way, for dropping the ball. He played hard, and the Denver defensive back just hit him right in the right spot to pop that ball loose. So no one's mad at Ernest Biner. What I'm saying is, though, that Bernie didn't do anything wrong, and, and people are just crapping on him, and I don't get it. And they're also doing it because there's a lot of stuff, well, he's, he sounds drunk when he calls a radio show. Well, he's being medicated for concussion things. And again, that may be true. Maybe, but you don't know. And if you don't know, shut the hell up until you do know. Now, Bernie was arrested for suspicion of DUI in Solon, Ohio uh, last September. And I looked all through the news, never confirmed. No breathalyzer, no nothing. It was suspicion. That's all they know. So he was, you know, slurring his speech like he does occasionally because, uh, you know, the medication he's on and because the treatment he's receiving from the concussions. So again, you don't know. When you do know, then you can open your big trap. Until then, shut it, okay? Thank you. And uh, and again, it's not really a Facebook thing. It's the same principle. You know, don't open your mouth until you have the facts, because whether it's on the internet or just on social media or wherever, remember, the principle is still the same. It's Facebook, not Factbook. John Roy is a stand-up comedian originally from Chicago, Illinois. He's based in Los Angeles now and headlines clubs and theaters across the country. Here now is our interview with the very funny John Roy. Okay, joining us on PF Tape Recorder, it's comedian John Roy. John, how you doing? I'm good. Good. Uh, we, we spoke years ago, I think, probably, I want to say, for maybe a paper I was writing for in Florida, maybe? Or maybe it was for Cleveland or, or uh, Cincinnati. I'm not sure. But um, anyway, uh, I saw you a couple months ago. You closed the uh, Pro-Am show uh, I participated in at Go Bananas in Cincinnati. Oh, okay, sure, yeah, the, uh, the, the open mic thing there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that was, uh, that was really good. Man, you, you came in and, uh, and, and just killed well, I was working on trying to set some stuff out to Arsenio and to Seth Meyers, 
So I kind of had to do like, you know, bits that I'd been, uh, you know, working on for a while. So, you know, I didn't really get to treat it as a, as an open mic. I kind of had to go in there and, and, and get stuff done, but it was a, it's a really good crowd. You don't see a lot of open mics where actual people come out to laugh. So it was, uh, it was interesting. It is unique. It's, um, you know, we, as they call it, it's a pro-am because it's professionals and amateurs. So it's local right. guys that do it a lot. And then there's amateurs like me who do it occasionally. And um, although I don't know if that was the show, that that one or the one I was in the one before was just really weird. And like all the amateurs, usually the amateurs are okay, like me, <laughs> like the thing. You know, there's, they have some funny jokes. And then, of course, the pros come in. All of our pros are really good. But then, uh, I don't know, one of those was just weird, but um, the pros, you know, cleaned up real nice, and of course, then you came in and just uh, knocked it out of the park there. Um, and I also heard you on Jackie Cation's podcast a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that was fun. I like that one. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's straight. We'll, we'll, we'll start there, I guess. The, the thing that struck me about that, to, to fill folks in, uh, our friend Jackie Cation, of course, does the Dork Forest, and as people talk about their passions, sometimes their odd passions, uh, like, of course, I was on talking about defunct football leagues a couple of years ago, uh, and uh, you were on, of course, talking about what? Oh, a bunch of stuff. Uh, Warhammer and comic books and... Uh, there you go. Different, uh, you know, just all the things that I've talked to, to Jackie about for years, and uh, we finally got to get on the show. So I basically had a bunch of stuff to. <laughs> I mean, if it's called the Dork Forest, I can unfortunately contribute in a lot of different ways. <laughs> <laughs> we will, uh, we'll definitely link to that. It's, it's really worth uh, listening to. The thing that struck me about the the Warhammer thing was I had a buddy uh, in high school and probably after junior high who was into that like way back. I guess this would be the late seventies, early eighties. I guess so when it first kind of started i'm guessing yeah probably i mean yeah. i would think because you know i wasn't really aware of it until like the mid 80s like okay. 87 88 i guess okay. and i didn't really actually try to do anything about it until uh uh you know the mid 2000s but i guess it's been going on for a long time in england anyway yeah he was a uh, really i don't know he he did if he did the role playing or not, because I didn't do any of that, and I didn't, I don't think he moved in the same circles of other people I knew later in high school that did do that. But here's the weird thing: is he was a star soccer player. Girls loved him, and yeah. here secretly he was this nerd that painted these figurines and was into yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. And yeah, stuff. all kinds of different people do that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not the stereotypical thing. Certainly, uh, a typical uh, demographic that we think about, but. You know, you don't have to be a certain way to, to want to paint something or beat somebody at a game. Exactly. That's true. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true. So, anyway, yeah, like you're saying, it, it's people think it's a stereotypically like a Big Bang Theory thing or uh, Freaks and sure. Geeks or thing in here, but, but it is, uh, you find a... And those people are real, too. I mean, you know, oh, sure, you, sure. It's, uh, you know, it is a bigger tent than maybe the media portrays, but those guys are there, too, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, of course, science fiction in general, I think, uh, people have come to realize that that's got a, a much broader acceptance. I think they did a study like like 80% of these people they polled uh, at least had watched and enjoyed Star Trek. So, like, people were, yeah. there were more Trekkers out there than were generally well, acknowledged. When you get to the point where they're actually spending money and using good actors and making a good story, yeah. then you're going to appeal to a lot more people. Whereas I feel like, you know, before they got the respect that it has now, you had to just really like the genre enough to kind of sit through some crap just because it had spaceships in it and uh and i feel like you know really just the overall quality of of the productions are going to attract people that maybe wouldn't have given it a look before that's true and plus 
these things make millions of dollars, and it wasn't sure. just it wasn't just all those geeks out there going to see these things. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so uh, late eighties, you're into this kind of stuff. How does your uh, interest in comedy develop? Is that at the same time? Are well, it's up- actually kind of interesting because. Uh, my my first, you know, my parents had always had comedy albums and stuff, and uh, I liked Saturday Night Live when I was a kid, and, and I would, you know, imitate the people on it, but my first real exposure to comedy that I kind of discovered myself was, uh, actually, I would wait up to watch Doctor Who on Sunday nights when I was 12, and Monty Python and a show called Dave Allen at Large oh, yeah, came we, on before that. We talked and about this last time, Dave Allen. We were, we're both huge Dave Allen a, fans, yeah. He was a... Scots or the Irishman with a missing finger yeah, <laughs> drank gin yeah, yeah. and smoked <laughs> and he made jokes about the Pope and uh, it was a weird show but you know I, I it was probably a, just a moment in my life where I was able to get jokes <laughs> you know yeah. which you really aren't able to do when you're 10 or 11 and so waiting up for Doctor Who exposed me to those British comedies and then I started actually looking forward more to the comedies than I did to the to the monster show afterwards and so, uh, you know, that kind of dovetailed with, uh, you know, Saturday Night Live when the year that uh, Billy Crystal and uh, Christopher Guest came on oh, yeah. was probably the first year that I got all the jokes. You know, like, I don't think I, you know, I watched the Bill Murray stuff, but I was seven, so what it, it didn't really make any sense to me. Yeah. And so uh, once, um, I guess I was five, actually, in 1980. But, uh, yeah, so then from then on, I just started, uh, we would get a comedy album every Christmas, and... I, I remember getting the Billy Crystal Marvelous album, and I didn't even know that these people did anything except come on Saturday Night Live. You know, like I didn't. Uh, the idea that Billy Crystal had a whole hour of comedy that you you would see if you went to see him that had some of the characters from SNL, but also things that I'd never seen before. That was just mind blowing to a kid. You're like, oh wait, these people do other comedy and not just what's on NBC. So after that, I really kind of shot it out, which. It was hard to do in the 80s. There's no internet, and the comedy section of a record store was pretty flimsy. You know, there's probably more soundtrack albums and gospel than there was comedy, but I bought every tape I could. Uh, Dennis Miller, the Off-White album. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, oh, boy, what else did I have? Uh, a lot of the Carlin plays for my stuff, a lot of the Richard Pryor stuff. But, you know, I got basically everything you could get which was about 12 albums <laughs> in most, yeah, uh, yeah, in most cities. And then, uh, you know, I'd always, you know, been interested. I was funny, but I didn't, I didn't really think about doing it until uh, after college. You know, it was just kind of a, a thing where I could like, yeah, I can make people laugh. That's fun. But uh, actually doing it for a living wasn't something I thought of until my attempt at being a musician crashed and burned. And I was looking for something else to do. And uh, a friend of mine was a stand-up and asked me if I wanted to do an open mic. Well, he more ordered me to do it. <laughs> and uh, we went and did it, and it went okay. And then I just pl- kept plugging away from there, and that was about 1997 when I started. So then you uh, wound up on Star Search. Yeah, I, I tried out for Star Search when I was featuring the South Bend, Indiana Funny Bone, me and the headliner, a guy named Tim Northern, who also ended up getting on the show. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know we, Tim. We uh, drove up from South Bend, and did uh, to just try it out in front of you know the two judges and then five of us and then we made it past that round and they called us back the next day and then I didn't hear anything from them for three months and then they called me and said come out to L.A. and that was in 2003 I'd been a, a feature comic uh, and I had done comedy for about six years at that point. Okay, 
And uh, so things went well. Um, who else were you in competition with uh, on that uh, season? Ben Bailey, who's the host oh, yeah. of Cash Cab. Yeah. Uh, 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 Owen Smith, who's done a lot, a lot of commercial work and, and some other some TV appearances. Uh, Ty Barnett, who later went on to oh, wow. almost win Last Comic Standing. Huh. And then uh, Lonnie Love. He's done a lot of Kelsey yeah. uh, lately appearances. Okay, yeah. Uh, and you know, I beat them, but you know, I it was just it wasn't who's the, those people were always all much more accomplished comics than I was at that point, and better. I was kind of boring, but in a two minute slice, I packed enough jokes in there that and I had a unique angle of being a, a white guy who talked about racism, which I think helped me. Uh-huh. But uh, really, you know, it was just the the nature of the format helped a guy like me who had a lot of really quick jokes. And I remember going through all my act and pulling all the ands and thes and, you know, just yanking as many syllables as I could out of there so I could stuff more punchlines in, uh-huh. and it ended up paying off. There you go. So uh, so what happens after that? I, I guess uh, you were telling Jackie well, on her I show. I went out you, to L.A. Yeah. and uh, kind of got my dick kicked in. I, uh, you know, I was a six-year comic. I really didn't have the 45-minute killer set that you need to headline, but they made me headline anyway, and uh, I went out and had a rough time of it for a year or two, went to L.A., and, and now instead of being king of the Midwest, which is kind of easy to do, uh, no offense, but, you know, your competition level isn't that strong, and then you get out to Los Angeles, and you're following Kevin Nealon and Dane Cook and Chris Rock on every show, and you're following people that get standing ovations just for breathing. And uh, and then you're also following people that maybe aren't famous, but they're they're trying to get there. And so you really got to step the game up. And you know that first couple years in LA was just kind of me realizing how much higher the bar was set now, and where I had to uh, had to get to if I was gonna you know stay in the business. So did you start working on building like a, a killer hour, like you know club by club? Well, in LA I, doing I did that in the clubs. I was like, you know, I got 15 minutes that suck. And I just have to keep writing until they don't. And then in L.A., you don't do an hour. You, you, the most time you'll ever really do in Los Angeles, unless you have your own theater show, is about 20 minutes. Uh, you get 20 at the Laugh Factory. But most L.A. sets are, are around 10. So you're really more you know, just working on getting a 10-minute thing that will get the same response as you know, the person in front of you who might have been Mark Marin or, you know, Louis C.K. or, you know, I mean, just the, the show in L.A. Uh, a month ago, uh, I had the meltdown. I followed Louis, Hannibal, and, or actually not, the, Louis wasn't there this time, but I followed Hannibal and uh, Zach Kalifanakis and Anthony Jeselik, all doing 20 minutes. And so, you know, obviously, aside from being excellent comedians, the crowd is really excited to see them all because they've seen them in the movies and on TV. And so, you know, you're just having to uh, to show every night that you belong on that stage. And that just, uh, that really, you know, compresses all the shit out of your act. You know, <laughs> like all the dead air is gone because you really can't afford it. So has it gotten a, a little easier to build a process for getting the material now and, and, and yeah, getting it? Yeah, I mean, it gets easier, but it never gets, you know, you still have jokes that you thought were going to be funny and the audience doesn't agree. Oh, yeah. And you still write jokes that are like, nine minutes longer than, you know, you write nine minutes and you think all nine of it is usable, but as you do it over and over again, you find that it's really more of a four-minute bit, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Uh, It's still trial and error, but I think as you, you know, I've done this for 17 years now, so I think as you progress, you kind of learn 
you know, maybe have a, a better, better percentage of what you perceive is going to work to what actually works, but, you know, it's still thoughts you had meeting the expectations of people that want to last and, and figuring out uh, what happens when that happens, and it's not always what you expected. Yeah, it, it seems as uh, a lot of guys and gals uh, get older, it, they seem to move away from more sort of the uh, generic observation or jokey joke stuff and try to start pulling stuff from the real life. But it seems it takes yeah. that time to build up that experience because when yeah, you're 20 well, years old, you Dwayne don't really Kennedy have had a great quote. He said that uh, when you start out learning how to do comedy, you just have to learn how to be funny. And then that's the first job, and that's very hard. But once you learn how to be funny, the next step is now how do you want to be funny. Like, not just how, what are jokes that will work, but what are jokes that not only will work, but will express, you know, whatever you want to express uh, up there and are, are more personal to yourself and aren't jokes that any comedian could stick in his act and get a laugh with, you know? Yeah. And I think that's sort of like the, the progression as you move along in your career after you've kind of said, okay, I know how to put a punchline here and how to make a face and act out some silly thing, and so I know how to get the laughs. But now, now that you can get laughs, what are you going to get laughs with? Yeah. Um, so the things you're talking about on stage, is it a lot like what we saw at the at the Pro-Am without spoiling yeah, for Yeah, folks? if you saw that show, you're going to see, I'll probably do most of those jokes when, when cool. I come into town. There'll be a couple new things. But, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I'm talking about uh, well, growing up Catholic and, and not really believing that and, and the, cat, the, the conflict there of being an, an agnostic. And I'm talking about uh, my dating life and breaking up, and, and uh, I'm talking about uh, getting, I'm 40 now, so I'm talking about what it's like to look at yourself at 40 and what you expected that to be and, and how it is now. And, uh, you know, relationship stuff and, and living in the city, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there. I'm, I'm, I'm always concerned. I've always been a huge music fan, and I was a musician, so That's there's right. always going to be, you know, even when I try to write about relationships and racism, I end up talking about food and rock bands. <laughs> like they just they come into yeah. the jokes the only way my brain knows how to think. So I'm sure there'll be plenty of fast food and rock and roll material in there too, no matter what I want to talk about. <laughs> That's just what comes out of my brain. Yeah, there were some uh, musical references there that were, uh, were were pretty nice in that, uh, that in that mini set. Um, so you live in Los Angeles now, but you're from Missouri originally. Is that correct? Uh, well, my parents live here in Missouri. Uh, okay. I was born in Missouri, but I grew up in Chicago. Oh, okay. uh, I grew up in the city in Rogers Park in the north side, and uh, that's where I went to grade school. And then I went to high school in Evanston, and then I went back to Chicago for college at Loyola. So really, until I was 29, I lived in Chicago and then moved to L.A. after that. Although, okay. you know, those last couple of years, I was touring a lot. So yeah. And I'm touring a lot now, so I feel like I live in L.A., but I'm only there maybe 60% of the year. But uh, when I'm there, I have got a podcast that I'm doing called Don't Ever Change, where I interview comedians about high school. And uh, we just had yeah. Dan Harmon from Community on, and that, that episode came out yesterday. Cool. And uh, so I definitely would tell people to listen to that if you kind of want a preview of what you might get, and um, I'm working on other little projects out there, but, uh, and then also, I, I do a lot of touring, so I'll be coming into Cincinnati on May 8th through the 11th, I think, or yes. 8th through the 12th. I believe that is uh, correct, yes. So yeah. the music thing, um, as I recall, you did that for a while, but then do you still do anything with that, even as a hobby, or do well, you... I sit around my bedroom and play guitar, I mean, I don't know, yeah, I mean, but I don't, the last time I, I played music on any 
at any uh, you know presentational level. Uh, Chris Porter, another comedian, had oh, yeah. a band uh, that he sang for, and uh, Bill Burr played drums with us a couple times, but oh, he wasn't wow. able to play uh, on the on the final concert. And by the way, Bill Burr is one of the best drummers I've ever played with, which was sort of annoying to be like, you're all not only are you one of the best comedians in the country, you're playing like a drummer, like you're not playing like a guy with a drum kit. <laughs> I'm like, you could join a band tomorrow, <laughs> but uh, we played a concert at the comedy store where we did covers and Chris sang and then each one of us did stand up uh, in between the songs but that was just a loose thing we played some Ray Charles songs and uh, traffic and shit and just had a good time but I haven't played music on any serious or ambitious level since I was uh, oh I don't know 24 and I think the world's a better place for that <laughs> yeah I uh, wow I, who knew Chris Porter sang I did not know or the Bill yeah he sings like he sings exactly like uh like, well, his favorite band is the Black Crows, but his voice actually sounds, I don't know, more like Joe Cocker. But, yeah, he's actually a pretty good singer. Porter plays that band, or what's left of it. It's not the same guys that we played with, but that band he plays with, uh, I think, plays every week in L.A. Wow. Learn something new every day. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you ever think, you like, you know, did, were there certain aspects of it that you uh, liked over others? Because I, I fancied myself a musician, was, but that was terrible. Yeah. I, I liked the songs I wrote. Well, I liked the, the songs I wrote. The there to help you fancy yourself your heart your <laughs> as long as you hundreds of dollars. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I go back and listen to the, uh, to, you know, to, to the the stuff and the, musically it's uh, fine the vocal the vocal is just yeah <laughs> i won't do that yeah yeah <laughs> exactly. a brave man so, i leave that stuff in the monster closet <laughs> well that's the thing is most of the stuff was played by my partner and our producer oh, okay. they let me play one keyboard line i tell the story all the time on the podcast they let me play one keyboard line into the sequencer and then we went back and played it and they looked at each other and said we're gonna have to redo that the sequencer couldn't even fix how bad i played <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's a signal. <laughs> yeah. So, but again, you know, if, if writing songs, I'm so proud of the songs. It's just that, no, as, as a performer, no. <laughs> Simon <laughs> Callwood had a field day with me. Um, all right, man. So, what what have you got coming up? Uh, you said you're touring uh, across. Again, we, we well, have listeners all yeah, across the world. Yeah, I'm touring right now, um, and I've got a bunch of dates. I've got a new website that's coming out uh, in a week or so. Oh, that's and right. Right yeah. now, I've just, uh, the, the podcast don't ever change. We've had about 33 guests now. We've had Kamel Nanjani and Kyle Kinane and Matt Bronger and all sorts of great guests, Sarah Schaefer. And uh, definitely I encourage people to check that out. We just interview people about uh, what they were like in high school for an hour. And uh, it's, it's, it's picking up steam. People are, are, are getting into it. Uh, I also have, uh, you know, I do a lot of writing with a comedian named James Adomian. Oh, and yeah, uh, we James. do, we got a, a video coming out next week of, uh, him running for president as Jesse Ventura. Oh, uh, awesome. One of the impressions he does, and we yes. wrote that and produced that with Funny or Die. Um, they oh, did all awesome. the production work. Oh, cool. That'll come out in a week, and we also have another web series that I did with James and Mark Marin called uh, Marin in Space that uh, IFC produced. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw and that. Was... That's, uh, that's out there now. If people want to look at that on Funny or Die, it's pretty funny. It's basically Mark Marin. Well, James's impersonation of Mark Maron as, as a Captain Star Trek Kirk. captain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so Mark funny. Maron himself as the evil Maron <laughs> uh, in the final <laughs> episode. And then we have, and that has led to uh, an hour long sketch special with James that I don't think you can talk about it yet, though. But, like, we're going to be doing a, a sketch show on Netflix with Funny or Die. And uh, uh, with, I'll be writing and doing some performing on that with, uh, with James. And that'll come out in the fall. All right, man. Okay, brother. We'll see you. Uh, we'll see you in May here in Cincinnati. Sounds good. All right, thanks, John. Bye. All right, bye bye.
Thanks again to John Roy for being on the show. You can catch John Roy in Cincinnati at Go Bananas May 8th through the 11th. For all things John Roy, you can go to a John Roy comic. Dot com. I'm sorry, JohnRoyLive.com. That's his website, but it is being redone, so it uh, it has not been really updated, but you can find clips of him and things like that if you like. Those are all still up, and then uh, he's going to have a new website up here very, very soon, so keep checking back on that. Uh, the other thing I want you to do is I want you to go to HomeShirts.com for all of your vintage t-shirt needs, especially if you live in Cincinnati, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, or St. Louis, or know someone that does, or maybe you used to live in one of those cities as well. We've got a lot of great vintage shirts on there, uh, past sports teams and stores and restaurants uh, that are gone but not forgotten. But even if you don't live in one of those cities, we have a lot of brands that uh, were nationally that were in those cities, but were also all around the country, like uh, May Company, Zare, Gold Circle, uh, places like that. So uh, do check it out, and um, if you're going to buy one of the national shirts, do buy it from the Cleveland uh, page on Home Shirts because we make a couple of bucks when you do that and help support the show. Great. All right. So let me see what else we got going. The uh, usual credits, obviously, uh, like the podcast on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at PF66. PF Tape Recorder logo designed by Dan Coble. Follow him at Tiger Dactyl on Twitter. Magic Potion, which is Dan's podcast with his buddy Logan. They talk about technology and how it applies to uh, everyday folks like you and me can be found in iTunes. Let me see what else we got. Oh, music composed and performed by John Baropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. Uh, I believe that is all the business we have for this week, other than to say so long and thanks for listening.